This is the Leadership Lessons Podcast, hosted by Pastor Daniel Williams, a podcast to encourage and equip church leaders. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Williams, and man, it has been awesomely crazy weird in this season of COVID-19. And uh, man, I pray that the Lord's blessing is upon you. I pray, God, that God is doing great work in your midst. I know that we've all adjusted to this online platform uh, with video and with talking. And let me just say this, even though I do this a lot with the podcast, it has been so much work to do this with the church, to study and then to record and then to add slides and then to lead worship and then to adjust sound and this, 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 and this. And so there's been a delay, a two-week delay for this season of the podcast. Uh, I am recording at the end of May and we're actually coming to the end of our season. This was on purpose. Before I found out about COVID-19, I was planning to make this season cut in half at 12 episodes uh, because I believe in the uh, Sabbath and taking rest and taking rhythms and seasons. And I just want to encourage you right now from Ecclesiastes 3, there are seasons. And guys, this is just a season. It's a hard season. It's an uncomfortable season, coronavirus, uh, not being able to physically meet together. But I believe that this is just a season that, that God uh, tells us that there are seasons of highs and seasons of lows, seasons of winter and seasons of spring and summer. And so uh, I'm praying spring is coming soon. I'm praying summer's coming soon. We're going to be able to get back to the new normal, uh, whatever that looks like, to be able to worship, not just online, uh, but be the body of Christ. But, I, you know, I praise God for technology, and, and we have to understand that winter seasons are very important. Uh, oftentimes we love the mountains, but we grow in the valley. And so I just want to encourage you as you are uh, listening to podcasts, as you're starting to find your rhythm, uh, whatever um, rhythm that is, if it's online services, if it's back physically, if it's small group, micro church, um, whatever that may be and whatever that look like, keep your eyes on Jesus because he he's faithful. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's going to walk through this whole thing with us. And so I believe God is raising up uh, men and women to follow after him wholeheartedly and to serve him. And I'm praying for a great revival as God has humbled the world that his church would be have revival and rise up and be sent to shed, spread the gospel. And so with this next episode, I have my good friend Pilgrim Benham over at the west coast of Florida, uh, Sarasota, technically Bradenton, uh, that area. I just, um, but they have planted a church and, um, you know, we got the great privilege at Redemption Church to be able to support them and send them and just encourage them as they were planting. And um, they're now established and doing great and we are still in fellowship and those type of things. But there is an important necessity of sending and um, being sent. The importance of being sent by a church and sending others to do the gospel uh, ministry that, that they've been called to. And so Pilgrim just does a great job articul articulating this vision, articulating this idea that we should be sent under authority and when we should also as use our authority to send others. And this is going to be so important as God does a fresh work in our days uh, to be able to identify leaders and to send them and to support them well. And so let's pray for laborers. I'm going to pray for you as you're laboring, but let's continue to ask God to give us strength and that more laborers would come and help us share the gospel. Then we'll get right into uh, episode 11, Pilgrim's, uh, you know, 
uh, leadership lesson on this area. So let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much that we can come to you today, that we can worship you. God, I pray for all those listening, God. Just fill them afresh with your spirit right now. Encourage them, Lord. They do not labor in vain. Have them be immovable and shakable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for they do not labor in vain. There is a crown of life for them, God. Uh, that this is not the end. We know that even in the midst of our suffering, you are working. And I pray that you would work on their behalf and send people to encourage them, to bless them, to co-labor with them, Lord. As we even talk about this subject, Pilgrim does, God, I pray that you would um, encourage us to identify and look for people in our body, in our influence, in our uh, churches and communities to send and to train uh, and just to to just be open-handed and just release them to do the work that you called them to. So God, we thank you so much that we can do this together. We love you, we serve you, and we praise your name together. It's in your name I pray, God. Amen. Amen. Well, enjoy this lesson from Pilgrim Benham. Hey, my name is Pastor Pilgrim Benham, and I want to share with you today on what it means to send and be sent by God. Uh, the year was 1792. And someone you've probably heard of in the modern missions movement, a guy by the name of William Carey, uh, was meeting with a few of his close friends. He had just preached a sermon from Isaiah 54, where he said kind of his two main points, where we should expect great things from God, and then we should attempt great things for God. Um, after that sermon was preached, he met with some of his friends, and one of them was a man by the name of Andrew Fuller. Uh, as he's sitting together with these guys, uh, Andrew Fuller recounts that William Carey basically said, I'm about to descend into a mine or into a pit, and I'm willing to go down there, but I need someone who will hold the ropes. Uh, that phrase uh, of being willing to hold the ropes kind of stayed within the modern missions movement. And though William Carey is known as kind of the, the father of modern missions in India, where he did incredible mission work until his death in 1834. Um, that phrase, that idea of someone who will hold the ropes for those who would descend uh, is kind of what I want to share with you today, uh, that there should be some of us who are willing to go down uh, into the darkest of places, being willing to uh, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And yet the only possible way that, that we can do that is for some to actually hold the rope. So uh, I just want to share with you an example of what it looks like to be sent and what it looks like to um, send. Uh, in Galatians chapter one, there's a description that Paul gives uh, of his own commissioning. And he says in Galatians one, I'm reading from verses 11 and 12. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We know that Paul the tent maker, the most successful missionary that ever lived within uh, church history, uh, actually had a very specific commissioning from Jesus himself. On the road to Damascus, the Lord shows up, uh, kind of knocks Paul over, so to speak, and Paul's blinded, and he basically says, I'm the Lord, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Um, that's not everyone's experience. Uh, it's not very normative. But Paul's experience, even after that, uh, became a little bit more of a normative experience that most of us have in our commissioning. And what I mean by that is though Paul was greatly used by the Lord, he actually had to first be sent by the Lord. Though God had a great plan for him and, and it was pretty incredible what God was going to do through his life and Jesus had specifically shown up to commission him personally, 
uh, Paul still needed some preparation. In fact, he tells this story, or Luke tells the story in Acts chapter 9. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, Paul had basically um, had that experience on the road to Damascus. He's in Jerusalem, and he begins to debate with the Hellenists. This is going to be something that, that would mark the message and the kind of the temper and tone of his ministry for the next few decades. He was going to be going in and, and arguing and preaching boldly the name of Jesus. Um, well, he goes to do that, um, and it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 29, that they were seeking to kill him. That's something that would happen often. Almost every city that Paul went into, people wanted to kill him. And it says, when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So basically, Paul's ready to go. He's newly saved. He's got this one-on-one -on -one commissioning from Jesus. You would think if anyone was qualified and commissioned, it was Paul. He should just go and do his ministry. And yet, the brothers recognize he wasn't yet ready. They take him, they send him, so to speak, into obscurity. He's sent to Tarsus, and it says in verse 31, really fascinating, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. It's crazy to me that when Paul was off the grid, he was out of the picture, he was off the scene, out of the scene, that's when the church multiplied, that's when there was fruit and there was peace. Paul was commissioned by Jesus. He was ready in his spirit to go and do the work, but he wasn't sent yet. And so he needed anywhere from 10 to 14 years, we pick up in Galatians 1 uh, and 2, that he needed a, a large amount of time of preparation. He needed a large amount of time uh, to really just grow and to kind of be equipped and prepared. It wasn't until he was in Antioch, brought from Tarsus by Barnabas, his encouraging friend, uh, where he's eventually raised up as an elder. And then the Holy Spirit again commissions him with a team of guys to go. Uh, it wasn't until then that Paul essentially uh, was really used by the Lord. And so I just want to speak to kind of two, two different um, really people. Maybe you're the you're the William Carey, and you're ready to descend down into the pit, down into the mine. You're like, I don't care where it is. I, let me go. I'm ready to do this. Maybe you're more like the fuller. You're the pastor or leader. Uh, maybe you're on a team. Uh, maybe you're not willing to go be on a church planning team, but you're willing to send and you're willing to, um, to be a leader of leaders. I want to kind of speak to both of those scenarios and, and Kind of encourage you today. So maybe you're the the William Carey. You're the Paul. I'm ready to go. Let me just do my thing. Uh, hold the ropes. Let me jump down into the pit. Um, I think that it's super encouraging to look at the example in Scripture of multiple people. We have the example of Paul that we just mentioned. We have the example of Moses. We have the example of David, of Peter, and even of Jesus, where there was a formative time in each one of their lives before they were used greatly. By God, almost like a wilderness experience. You see it in the life of Moses. 40 years, he's kind of leading sheep in a wilderness and in a desert area. That was preparation for the 40 years or so that he was going to lead uh, God's flock. You look at David, and here he is in obscurity, not even important enough uh, that his father would bring him in uh, to show him off to the prophet as one of his sons. He wasn't even that important in the family to be brought in and considered. And yet that was a preparation. His humility, his shepherding was a preparation 
uh, for being a king who would lead a man after God's own heart. You look at the ministry of Jesus and how in three years he was able to accomplish uh, what he accomplished to get the gospel uh, around and, and serve the people and, and lay down his life as a sacrifice. And yet there were 30 years or so of obscurity, of, of carpentry, of, of doing the skilled work of labor behind the scenes. And you look at Peter and Peter needed uh, kind of that, that moment of testing where he uh, questioned uh, his own calling. He wasn't sure, and, and he was even set aside for a few moments in his own denial. Uh, a time of preparation, time of testing. So I just want to encourage you, if you're in that place of, man, I want to go for it today, and yet you've never had that time of testing, you've never had that time of, of preparation, you've never um, experienced the, the, the sorrows, the suffering, the trials, um, I just want to encourage you, um, we, we have to grow in the grace of God. We have to understand doctrine, scripture, and we have to be rightly prepared before we're used by God greatly. Uh, now, I want to speak to those of you who are holding the ropes. And maybe you've got some guys that you're supporting or you've got a church plant that you're ready to, to send someone out. You um, want to do it well. The example that we see in the book of Acts, when Paul is sent by uh, the team there in Antioch. He's with Barnabas. What we see there is, is kind of fascinating. Um, and I would actually define that as truly healthy biblical um, missions. Now, some people define missions as, uh, you know, you've got to go across the sea. If you are still in North America, it's not missions. I would say you're right if we're talking about cross-cultural uh, unreached people groups. Yeah, but all of us are on mission. Like if we look at, the actual commissioning of Jesus in the Gospel of John, a dozens of times, it almost seems like that's the phrase Jesus keeps using is that I'm sent. I've been sent from the Father. I was sent. Uh, and, and so even Jesus was commissioned. Even Jesus was sent. Uh, but when we look at what the Bible means by missions, I really think that it comes down to healthy churches sending qualified elders who plant healthy churches uh, who then raised up indigenous qualified elders to continue the work. That was Paul's experience. Paul would go into a, a city uh, sent by God with this team of guys, and he would establish churches where, as a qualified sent elder, he'd raise up other qualified elders to take over, to continue the work. Uh, and so what happens, though, is when this breaks down, we can sometimes, as an unhealthy church, say, I'm not going to be willing to send you. So you just go figure it out. Go, go do your thing, sink or swim. And we kind of spiritualize it and say, well, if the Lord's with you, it's going to succeed. If he's not with you, it's going to fail. And we don't see that experience in Antioch. We don't see that experience with the Father sending uh, Jesus. We don't see that experience with Paul uh, sending Timothy, sending Titus. It's not just, well, you'll figure it out. The Lord's with you. There's a real preparation and a real support. And so I want to encourage you, if you're um, that sender, that leader who wants to equip other guys, we need to make sure that we're doing the hard work of, of preparation in these men, that we're giving them opportunities, that we're willing to send and, and train and equip. Uh, I think it's interesting when we look at the state of world missions today, uh, many people lose heart when they don't see conversions within a few years. And so what happens is a family is willing to go to a city, they're willing to do uh, the hard work of trying to reach an entire unreached nation. Maybe it's a people group and they want to see a tribe with the Bible in their native tongue. 
What happens is the sending church or the sending uh, pastor loses heart, loses encouragement. They withdraw their support. They withdraw their funding. Eventually, the gospel does take root, but the Bible isn't translated in that tongue. What ends up happening is these floundering new believers end up becoming prey to false teachers. Uh, we see prosperity gospel kind of um, flying in and, and um, wreaking havoc in third world countries. So we have to be dedicated to the hard, long-term task of sending people, of raising up qualified guys. It says in 3 John 7 and 8, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I love that. There wasn't this idea that they had to start a GoFundMe and, and get all of their unbelieving friends to support them. The idea was that, no, we should support people like the, these. We should be the ones that help and support fellow workers for the truth. We should be the ones holding the rope, so to speak. So I just want to encourage you, if you're the person who's being willing to send, let's make sure that we're sending people well. Let's make sure that we're looking for uh, the qualifications of an elder before we just send somebody out. Oh, you've got a heart for Spain. Great. Uh, let me buy you a plane ticket. Go to Spain. No, we have to take the time uh, to uh, look at 1 Timothy 3, look at Titus 1, uh, to slowly, methodically uh, prepare and train up uh, different uh, types of people. When we look at the state of even North America, there are 34 um, cities in North America between Canada, the United States, and Mexico. 34 uh, cities that have over a million people. I would say the task uh, of reaching the ends of the earth begins right here in our own back, backyard. Uh, when we look at the state of world missions, we're giving 2.4% of, of all of our missions giving uh, to the most unreached uh, part of the world where there's well over uh, one to three billion people who have never yet even heard uh, the gospel message. We uh, relegate them to the 1040 window, kind of that unreached area uh, from uh, Africa all the way to Southeast uh, Asia. But man, the task before us is huge. The task is is not finished yet. Uh, so we should be willing to go. We should be willing to send. Uh, and I just want to continue to challenge um, those of you who are thinking, man, I don't know if I've got what it takes. I'm kind of praying. Man, I, I would love to take this next step and be willing, uh, I would just leave those two thoughts from William Carey's sermon. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Uh, the Lord is with you uh, because no matter if you're a pastor, you're an ordained minister, uh, no matter if you feel like you are a missionary or uh, want to do full-time ministry, uh, Paul was a tent maker. Uh, Paul was someone who was willing to go to the ends of the earth. Uh, he was someone who was commissioned by Jesus from the Great Commission. And whether he had that specific Macedonian dream of the man calling him, uh, at the end of the day, Paul had the Great Commission, which said, go into all the world and make disciples. So you may not have a, a Damascus Road experience where Jesus shows up. I'd venture to say you probably will not ever have that. But if you have a desire to make disciples, then you're a part of the New Testament church be a person who's willing to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I would encourage you to go to your leadership and say, I've got this hunger and this heart to make disciples. I want to go for it. How can you equip me? What do I need to do? What are next steps? 
and your leadership uh, should come alongside you. If you're the leader who's praying about raising up and supporting and sending, I would say start in our backyard. We've got lots of opportunities here in North America. Uh, look at your congregation. Look at the men and the women God has in your life and begin to uh, pray for them, invest in them. Take that difficult next step and begin to train them. Begin to uh, say, Lord, you've given me the stewardship of these people. Am I willing to invest in them? Am I willing to, to take that hard step of holding the ropes and sending? Uh, for Andrew Fuller, it was a lifelong endeavor. He held the ropes until um, he passed away. And for those of us who are the sending, uh, we need to be willing to commit to this uh, for the long haul. So just want to encourage you guys with that. Uh, be willing to go. Be willing to send. Um, until the Lord comes, this is a work that, that will continue until um, his, his return. So just encourage you to, uh, to go, to send, uh, to be willing to partner in the gospel, uh, and be willing to trust Jesus for the results. So God bless you, and uh, let me pray for you today uh, for your endeavors. Father, I thank you for those who are willing uh, to be sent, and I pray that they would be willing to descend even to the darkest of places. Even now, you've put those cities and those regions on their heart. And Lord, I ask that you would be the Jehovah Jireh to them. You'd be the provider. And Lord, I ask that uh, you would give them great faith and boldness and skill. And Lord, help them to sit in this difficult time of testing and preparation and be willing uh, to learn those valuable and difficult lessons in the trials and in the trenches. Lord, for those who are sending, and maybe they're not sending, maybe they're disobedient to the Great Commission. They're not willing to hold the ropes. Would you, Lord, put a desire and a burden on them uh, to be willing to uh, be the senders, Lord? I pray that they would uh, have a, a people group, a nation, a city uh, on their heart, and that, Lord, you'd raise up workers. As you told us, the fields are white for harvest, but uh, we should pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. Lord, would you um, send them workers that they can then rightfully send? And we thank you that Jesus, the great missionary to this earth, was sent. Lord, help us uh, to be willing to send others to the ends of the earth. We love you. We thank you, Lord, that you're doing a good work. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. This is a three-minute message brought to you by Redemption Church, Delray Beach. I'm Chuck Lind. I was the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel Olympia, and I did it for 30 years. And, and now I'm retired, and I was Daniel's pastor for a while, but more so friends. And I loved working with him, and I miss him even now, but it's such a joy to know what God's doing in his life. But he asked me to share a proverb with you. And so in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And so there's a principle here, and it's a wonderful principle. And, and I think it's always interesting when we start talking about finances and stuff. If I were to say to you, I want you to go out and buy a house, and you say, well, I need to get a loan. And, and, and say you went and tried and try to get a loan and you couldn't get one. So you go to your rich uncle and you said, Uncle Bill, would you loan me the money for a house? And Uncle Bill says, okay, how much is the house? And you say, let's just say 300,000. He says, okay, I'm gonna loan you 300,000, but here's the only thing I want. This is what I expect. I'm not gonna charge you any interest or anything. I just want 
$30,000 back. Would you not just go jumping in the street, shouting in the streets for joy? And that's really all God's done. He's given you everything and all he wants back is 10% to acknowledge him. Now here's the beauty of that 10%. The beauty of that 10% is when you give back to the Lord, what you're doing is you're putting to death the world's gods. And one of the gods of this world is mammon. And mammon has, has a hold on us. We, we get our identity from finances sometimes by what we can buy, what we can wear, where we can go, how we can vacation, or it can become security to us. Our security, I'm, I'm safe because I have some money in the bank. I'm safe because I make this much money. And we think we're controlling things when in reality, as we give back, God gives us the antidote for that God that makes us a slave, a slave to what we owned, a slave to what we wear, a slave to the way we think we have to live to find joy. That's a horrible God to serve because it never lives up to what it promises. It always takes more away from you than it gives back. And, and so God gives us a wonderful joy. And the one thing I know is he said, that's the only way you can ever invest in heaven is by sending things ahead. And when we give, we're demonstrating the very heart of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. And what did he give? The most precious thing. And you know, the kingdom of heaven is very different than the world that we live in. Its economy is different. Remember one day Jesus was in the temple. He was teaching his disciples and, and, he, and he stopped for a minute. He says, guys, guys, look at that lady over there. And it was just this old lady walking along and she was going by the offering boxes and she dropped in about two pennies. And he says, that woman gave more than all the others together. And he was, that wasn't a metaphor. He was literally saying in the kingdom of heaven, in the, in the heavenly kingdom economy, she gave more than everybody else because she gave all that she had. And he was telling us what it means to live within the kingdom. It's to give. The more you give, the more joy you have, the more you give away those things that tie you down. It's not a demand. It, 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 it's, it's God reaching out to us and saying, here's how you know joy. Here's how you get free from the world. And the freest people I know are the gen most generous people I know. They give from everything to cookie drives to, to everything. They just can't turn it down because they're, they're ready, as it says in 1 Timothy 6. Those of you who are rich, and we by far are the richest people that have ever lived on the planet. Be ready to give. Be that kind. That's what God is. He's ready to give. He's ready to give forgiveness. He's ready to give mercy. He's ready to give his time. He's ready to give himself all the things that were to be. And he knows Jesus knew joy greater than all of his companions, it said in Hebrews 2. Gladness above all his companions. Hebrews chapter 1. But but that's what God wants for us, is to have his heart for the world around us. So I encourage you, be a generous giver. Be a good, a good tipper. <laughs> Don't be a cheap Christian. And so show your love by your generosity. Time, finances, and your love. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. 
Thank you so much for listening to this Leadership Lessons podcast. You can watch all the episodes and get all the show notes at eeleaders.com. If this podcast was a blessing to you, I would love for you to share it with your friends on social media. You can find us on social media at eeleaders. You can also help us spread the word by simply writing a review on iTunes or Google Play. My hope for you with this podcast is that it will encourage you and equip you to continue to serve Jesus. Because remember, there's nothing better than doing what God has called you to do.